2: Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into our third hour. It's a delight to welcome back an old friend, an occasional guest host to this show. And uh, I guess we'll just call him our house doctor. He is Dr. Zudi Jasser, the director of the Jasser Center for Comprehensive Care in downtown Phoenix. Jasserim.com, the website. When COVID started really about a year ago, right, Zudi? you would come in on a weekly basis and kind of talk us through it, talk us off our... uh, talk us off our ledges a little bit, and it's been a while since we had you, and we've been getting an an, an accumulation of questions and new questions. I guess every time Fauci speaks, it raises new questions. Yeah. <laughs> and it contradicts what he said the last time. Who can blame us? So I thought it would be fun to bring you back in and awesome. take some of our questions. Uh, first of all, you and family, everyone doing well?
1: We're doing great. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's uh, like you said, we were coming in almost every week because their numbers were spiking and there were some valid concerns. And now the numbers have been low and and yet uh, the industry is still trying to scare everybody. So (laughs) how
2: virulent and deadly is covid going forward? How if we if on a scale of one to 10, America was at a 10 in nervousness a year ago, where should they be? Today,
1: where should they be? Well, to answer that question fairly, we have to talk about the COVID we know. Uh, if we sit and, you know, many of them are talking about variants and all this kind of stuff and mutations, and and uh, we don't know any. All we know about those is they may have been associated with some spikes in London or South Africa or whatever variant you're talking about. I don't mean to. Be bigoted against South Africa by calling it the South Africa. Or British. Or British variant. There's no. now an
2: Indian strain. I think Mark Stein was talking about a, uh, a
1: Braz- uh, what was it, a, Braz- uh, a Brazilian mutant? Yeah. Yeah. Be careful. Don't yeah. want to offend the Brazilians. Right. But, you know, the bottom line, though, is that we don't know that much about it. And uh, you can certainly invoke that those variants can then bypass the v- vaccines, et cetera, but You know, every year we have flu variants that might bypass things. We have other viruses and we don't sit paralyzed. Uh, The bottom line is, is the whole, and we we have to keep reorienting ourselves. The whole reason COVID became a concern was not only the fact that we didn't have a vaccine, but the fact that we didn't want to overwhelm our healthcare system. We are so far from that right now. There's no more concern. A lot of the Alert statuses have gone away in the hospitals, thankfully, and we're getting back to normal in the healthcare system with bed capacities being back to normal. So, at the end of the day, the answer should be we have very little concern. Yes, we should still keep our radar up, but the numbers are so far before any significant capacity issues. Let the CDC do its work, see what variants are coming out, uh, but it should not. We should be back to normal behavior in society.
2: Let's talk about vaccines then for a second, because that is new since uh, probably since you've joined us, probably since you've been on air. I don't know if we've talked in the last three months or so. My bad if we haven't. But we know more about the vaccines now. Uh, how good are they? How recommended are they? And then let me ask you a couple political questions about them.
1: So the vaccines really testimony to the, the f- how f- f- Amazing. Uh, the American science industry is in the West and, and how quick we we're able to turn things around. And first of all, people should not think that somehow this was short circuited. All the the uh, operational warp speed did under the Trump administration was to take. Uh, uh, periods where you go through phase one, phase two, phase three, and then in between the phases, you might have a month, you might have a few weeks, et cetera. They completely shorted that, but the periods themselves for each phase were still left intact, and we still had the same number of patients involved. So these went through the same vetting Almost every vaccine does, but it was shrunk in time because there were no periods in between the phases. And a lot of resources were spent to get those done quickly. And we had multiple companies, and that's why now we have the Pfizer, Moderna, J&J vaccine, et cetera. Percentages, the Pfizer, Moderna vaccine have about 94, 95 percent efficacy. By the way, it's higher than the flu vaccine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, much higher. And and the reason it's higher is because of the, uni- you know, the the flu Warps itself, changes itself, mutates itself every year. Mm-hmm. There haven't been that many coronaviruses. We've had the one in '08, uh, you know, and and uh, maybe two or three others. But the bottom line is, is that this, the 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 technology was different, and that it's an mRNA vaccine that. Understandably, some folks are very concerned about how it was developed, whether fetal tissue, other things. That's a, that's a theological concern and other things of, of many, uh, understandably. But the validity of it in vaccinating, the numbers show that if you're vaccinated and you're exposed to the virus, and they tested this, that you have a significantly much, you know, uh, one to four out of a hundred chance of even getting the infection. Lethality is one in a thousand. So it's much less.
2: Thank you, Zudi. So uh, the reason I, I kind of wanted to point out that it's more effective than the flu vaccine is because it leads to this next question, which is uh, many people will listen to Dr. Fauci or others say, even if you're vaccinated, um, maintain social distancing, maintain mask wearing, double mask if you can, and don't engage in congregate gatherings indoors. Some would be uh, – uh, some some have said – This must be the least effective vaccine in the world if we still have to do those sort of things after being vaccinated. You say what?
1: Yeah, I say that they shifted American cultural mores last March into a pandemic mentality. And it's sort of like when you uh, punish your kids for whatever reason and they're ready to get out of punishment and you still infantilize them. You still treat them like kids. And if you tell them that things are back to normal – they're You're worried they're going to misbehave and they're going to do things inappropriate. So that's sort of what's happening is that the hospitals are concerned, others are concerned. Are we going to see a spike? They see the spikes in Europe, which I'm not sure you can translate here. Uh, you've looked at numbers, I know, in previous programs. But bottom line is is the numbers are different because their lockdowns were very different, maybe not Sweden maybe not a few others, but the U.K. lockdowns are pathologic. Canada's lockdowns have been just horrific. Pathologic. Yeah, Yeah. pathological. So that might be why they're seeing some spikes now is that their lockdowns were not – I mean, I think ours were severe here, but they weren't – not Arizona, I mean in the United States. And so there's some difference there. But the bottom line is, is Fauci and company want to treat us like kids. Don't tell the kids that things are normalizing because they might start getting back to, you know, playing around and doing things that they're not supposed to be doing.
2: Does it surprise you as a citizen? Does it scare you as a medical practitioner that a governor like Ron DeSantis holds a briefing on COVID with several doctors, one of whom is Scott Atlas, and YouTube takes it down because it counters the messaging YouTube believes in. Does this worry you as a citizen or as a physician? We're told to trust the physicians and the scientists.
1: Yeah, it, it horrifies me. Okay. Because, you know, when I went to medical school in Wisconsin, uh, they were trying to teach us. We, you know They were looking for innovative ways in which to create doctors that are critical thinkers. And critical thinking is how we began to develop Uh, We take alternative therapies. We take vitamins and other things and say, well, maybe we should be studying this and let's question sort of the dogma of medical science. And now, all of a sudden, one pandemic and dogma is becoming speech that is controlled. And if you question dogma, That which is bizarre that we even have any dogma with the first time this virus is going through society. There are viruses that have been through multiple times, and we're still debating on what should be done, that we've become such a risk-adverse society. If you look at some of the, for example, heart catheterizations, do you know that the first heart cath that was ever done was a doctor that did it on himself, which (laughs) is crazy risky, right? (laughs) And and yet that became a, a, a pathway, if you read... Uh, Cheney's book on the heart where he talks about some of this unbelievable things that led to an LVAD that led to transplant. There are crazy things that doctors that are very, you know, uh, innovative and creative do. We do all over the country. Now, I'm not saying that we should put our whole population at risk. But what I'm saying is that when we are no longer a risk adverse, when we become such a risk adverse society, that we suppress critical thinking, let alone the risk associated with the most successful democracy and free market on the planet, we will cease to be America. Critical
2: thinking, one thing, and I believe that, and I'm with you on this. What about critical behaviors? Is it not equally important for the body politic as well as the human body to be out and about in society and not hunkered down?
1: Absolutely. That was, you know, whether you're studying free market theory of spontaneous order, right, uh, of Adam Smith and and why free markets are more successful than so-called organized uh, centralized uh, planning markets or studying human physiology, studying uh, uh, the uh, medical pathology, if you will. If we control the system too much, we will not test the discoveries that we have present today and then we'll stop innovating.
2: Nice. Dr. Zudi Jasser is our guest, uh, former uh, president of the Arizona Medical Association and the director of the Jasser Center for Comprehensive Care, jasserim.com. He's here to take your questions. We've got a bunch lined up and room for more. 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser in the house uh, taking your calls. Let me do a shout-out and wish one of, our, um, one of our closest listeners a very happy birthday. Debbie Pompo turns 59 years old today. If you know her, wish her a happy birthday. We certainly do. Zudi, I have a lot of questions, but the most important voice, you've sat in this chair, you know, is always, the, uh, the caller, listener. Can I turn you over to them?
1: Absolutely. All right.
2: The clinic is open, and we'll start with Tim in Peoria. Tim, you're on with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
3: Dr. Jasser, it's an honor to talk to you once again. The last time and first time I talked to you was 15 years ago. Wow. Uh, really quickly, uh, Deirdre Abood, I'm sure you know the name, was a guest speaker in one of my classes at ASU in political science. Uh, but then I graduated in 2004. She was back on campus in 2005. I actually called you while you were at work, and you were nice enough to take the call to discuss um, – Islamic, uh, you know, Muslim, uh, relationships or relations with the United States and her narrative that existed, but that's not for now, but I just wanted do to you remember uh, that call
1: Yes, I do. Yeah. How fun. How fun. I do. Yeah. Good,
3: good times. Um, so I have two, two things. My mother is in a nursing home, a private nursing home here in Arizona. She uh, came down with coronavirus and uh, she was transported to the hospital. She was labored in her breathing, but she could still breathe. When she arrived, they automatically uh, wanted to intubate. Now, uh, full transparency, my wife is also an ER nurse, but at a different hospital that my mother went to. I was at the hospital. I have medical power of attorney for my mother. They were going, they insisted that they needed to intubate even though she was breathing, although labored. I, I I asked my wife to ask another doctor at the hospital, and I insisted not that they, the doctor had to take you know take that, but I wanted her uh, just based off the information that I had that we had heard about with respect to forced O2 in lieu of intubation. I'm one. I, I don't have all the information that was re, that was relayed to me, but there was a benefit at some point in several articles. I'd like to see if you can expand on that. If you ever heard it. They did, in fact, put her on uh, high-pressure O2 instead of uh, intubating, and she recovered to the degree that um, I'm not sure she would have come off the intubation, in my opinion. And, uh, again, not a doctor. And then, second, why have they stopped testing for the flu? Uh, In ERs throughout the Phoenix metro area, for the most part, they come in, they give the rapid test for coronavirus if they're exhibiting symptoms, and when they come up negative, then the question is, do we test for the flu because the symptoms are similar and they're being, the nurses are being told no. I'm kind of curious as to why they're not testing
1: for the flu. Well, those are fantastic questions. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for uh, asking them. Um, yeah, you know, the, the specifics as far as what type of uh, invasive treatment that the pulmonary docs, the ICU docs, ER docs are going to invoke – on uh, different patients, based on their presentation and criticality, it can vary based for example, when you start going into respiratory failure, respiratory failure and, and it's some I want to you know couch all of this with the caveat that you know we're, this is sort of armchair medicine i 'm missing ninety eight percent of the information I might need in a, in a chart review. but the bottom line is, is from an educational perspective, I think it's important to know that. It's not, you know, not every COVID patient that present presents the same way. Yes, you're right. There is some data about letting the, the work of breathing be done by the patient with just forcing O2 versus mechanical ventilation that then they worry that the patient starts to fatigue more earlier and muscles atrophy of breathing and it's harder to get them off the vent. So there's different studies. They're looking, you know, they've been looking over the past months now as we've learned a lot. Uh, from the patients trying to predict the ones that don't do well, we did see, for example, a, a four-week sort of window where, if they've been on a vent for three, four weeks, getting them off becomes a lot harder than the ones that are on just two or three weeks. Which is something we knew, but with COVID, seemed to, you know, four to five weeks was somewhat of a uh, a, a, a firewall that we didn't want to get to. Um, but uh, again. When you look at patients with respiratory failure, it's not just the oxygenation. Sometimes if they're retaining CO2, that can that can be a problem, and they'll intubate earlier rather than later. Uh, so there might be a lot of factors involved there rather than simply the COVID. As far as uh, um, testing for flu, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, a lot of tests that we do, believe it or not, rationally are about what are we going to do with that information? So uh, on the one hand, I have a lot of, you know, for years we've been vaccinating people for flu in my office in primary care. Um, we don't check everybody for influenza A and B. I will if they come in and they have a pneumonia. I'm worried about their deterioration and I want to know what the diagnosis is. That'll color my treatment. So that's important. If it's not going to affect treatment or treating them like any other upper respiratory infection you're sending them out, uh, there's no data to show this year. I mean, we've we've actually seen much less flu probably because of the question you asked is we're not testing for it as much as we used to uh, because it's because of all the isolation Uh, Or somebody posed another point to me recently was maybe we're seeing less flu because like any flora – when one virus comes through the system, we're not, you know, it sort of cleans out the others in the environment, and we're seeing less flu in general in the environment this year because of COVID.
2: Could it also be, or is this just pedestrian, could it also be that everyone is much more conscientious about uh, blocking their sneezing, washing their hands, and that sort of thing?
1: Absolutely. And that's why I think, you know, should you mask after vaccine, you know, well, Just let people be adults. If you haven't had your vaccine, get masks. Now, it's hard somewhat. They they get you in this corner and they say, well, then we need vaccine passports because I want to know if they're not wearing a mask that they've had a vaccine. Well, that's absurd, too. We are free Americans with rights and we can be adults about it. Yes, there might be some people that don't care that walk around and uh, decide there's no mask mandate. So therefore, I'm not going to wear a mask. and I don't have a vaccine. But most Americans aren't that way. They're pretty smart. They don't want to hurt anybody else. And we don't need to have a mandate. You know, if you've had a vaccine, it really doesn't make sense why you have to continue to wear a mask. Perfect.
2: Great, Zudy, Thank you. Uh, let me go to uh, Bob and Phoenix on a related question to the vaccine. Bob, you're on with Dr. Jasser.
0: Hi, um, I'll make it quick. My basic question is, if you had COVID, um, when, is it safe to have a vaccine uh, early or how long should you wait? And real quickly, my wife Myself and my son all had it around Christmas. We had very minor problems with it. It wasn't a big deal. Um, And uh, my wife has had two shots. She's done. My son just had his first last week. They both had about a little over a day and a half, let's say, reactions. Nothing major, nothing life-threatening, but very uncomfortable. So I haven't had any. So I'm just curious if you are different things about it. What do you think?
2: Hey, Bob, uh, are you you able to tell me uh, what decade of life you guys are in? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm 72. My wife is 66, and my son is uh,
1: 37.
2: Very, very nice of you. Thank you. I'm just, I'm curious about age and obesity questions. I'll get to you with you, Doctor Jasser, but to Bob's question.
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, and we've studied this, and I've actually had some patients uh, that, uh, you know, our medical personnel that uh, had this question because. Why would you get a vaccine after you had it? Well, it actually makes a lot of sense because. Can I pause you on yeah, that? Yeah, this is yeah. a
2: big question. A lot of people yeah. have it, and we're going okay. uh, so to have the
1: break. So, when to get clock, a vaccine,
2: then. and should you get a vaccine after having COVID? Doctor Zudi Jasser will take that on when we come back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Privileged to have Dr. Zudi Jasser with us. He's the uh, director of the Jasser Center for Comprehensive Care, physician and, uh, here in Phoenix, uh, talking COVID issues. Right before the break, listener Bob in Phoenix had a good series of questions about when to get vaccinated uh, after having, when and if to get vaccinated after having had COVID. I believe he said he and his family went through it in December.
1: Yeah, so that's a great question and uh it's been studied. Uh, Denmark had some studies about it and believe it or not, uh 80 per, you know, those who had COVID had only 80% protection. So, we were some have been critical of the J&J vaccine because it's only 85%. So, even getting COVID by itself generally has about 80% protection. That's in all comers. 65 and above 47% had reinfection in the Denmark study. So, um that those numbers tell you that well why how has that happened first of all the the vaccine is made from multiple protein uh uh pieces or fragments of the virus, so it's going to get it from different sides, different ends. When you get one vaccine that infects you and that one, va- well, I'm sorry, when you get one virus that infects you, that one viral particle multiplies, but you don't get other viral particles from elsewhere. So there's, there's a significant chance that you're not exposed to all the different proteins that coronavirus, COVID-19 may actually manifest. So that's one of the issues is exposure and getting a better immune response. So The bottom line is, is once you get sick, your immune response is going to be limited compared to a healthy person that gets vaccinated. That's why we give kids vaccines so that, you know, and that's why now we're realizing from chickenpox, we have zoster vaccine, et cetera, because your immune, your immunity wanes as you get older. We have to re immune immunize patients in order so that they don't get shingles from the same vaccine that they had from a virus when they were young. Which is chickenpox. So, bottom line is, is I, that is,
2: happened to me? By the way, I got. Remember when I got shingles? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So immunity wanes, right. and then you have to revaccinate, folks. Um, as it sits around, as far as time, six weeks is probably what I've been telling my patients. Four weeks minimum, according to the CDC. Earlier, you sort of risk multiplying some of the symptoms that are still resolving from the initial infection. Post COVID.
2: A, a question uh, that came to me on Twitter. If I've recovered and have antibodies, why would I need to quarantine after another contact? And I think part of it you answered, but if you want to direct it to, uh, directly answer that. If I've recovered and have antibodies, why do I need to quarantine after contact, subsequent contact?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure who gave that recommendation that you quarantine after a contact if you're well beyond. I'm
2: guessing it. it's a private corporation that oh. requires it. I'm guessing, right? That, think, there's yeah. a lot of that, right?
1: Yeah, no, there's uh, uh, if you've had vaccines, you know, that's the whole point of vaccination so that we don't have to keep quarantining after the chain chain reaction of contact with folks that are actively sick. I mean, healthcare personnel now, uh, if you're vaccinated, uh, we're not, um, you know, constantly rechecking them after contacts, et cetera, uh, with uh, blood tests or antibodies. It's now only based on symptoms. It's no longer based on contact.
2: How long is the vaccine good for?
1: Uh, Well, that's a great question. We still don't know. But so far, they're assuming at least six months, Mm -hmm. four to six months. Uh, The fear police want to tell us that the other variants may not still be good and as they still want to control our behavior. Um, Might be true. Uh, It's still good to be smart. Can somebody who's been vaccinated transmit COVID? Uh, That also is being studied. Remember when my first program with you, somebody called and said, well, can my dog transmit? it?" Yeah, I do remember So that. dogs don't get infected. Right. But we thought, well, maybe they're like the couch. They're like anything moving around. Uh, they can have the virus on them and then spread it if you don't wash it, et it turns out, no. So right. human it turns out, no. Right. Human beings that have been vaccinated, not infected, similar. I mean, I guess you could carry it by by having it on your body. And but there's no evidence to show that they are vectors. So
2: like the flu vaccine it would be something people need to get uh more oh, every year or something like that
1: we've i mean we had uh, the corona outbreak in 2008 right. and that didn't keep coming back okay. h you know hn so it's uh, about whether it comes back yeah it's about whether it comes back and uh, hopefully uh, you know i doubt the who's going to change in the reporting mechanisms uh, from the great uh, autocracy of china that uh, held the information but with good information we can respond quicker and, uh, you know, there's no evidence to say that this is going to come back every year. Okay,
2: good. Dave and Ed, don't go away. We'll take your calls on the other side of this break. It is a delight to have with us Dr. Zudi Jasser answering any and all questions you may have related to COVID. 602 is the number. We'll be right back. Jasser, yes, with us, before we resume your calls, I wanted to put in a word for my friend Solar Sandy. She is the one who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. The difference between Solar Sandy and other solar companies is that she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. So important when going solar, you do it the right way. Solar Sandy is the right way. She has the formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back into your pocket. When you go solar... Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and as a tribute to March Madness, she will give a promotion to the first 50 families who reach out to her, a $1,000 signing bonus. That's right. No solar panel payment, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. No better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Again, that's asksolarsandy. Dot com. Here we're asking Dr. Zudi Jasser questions about COVID, and uh, you've been wonderful. Thank you, Doc. I'm going to throw you to a few more of our listeners. Dave is in surprise. Dave, you're on with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
4: Appreciate the opportunity, thank teacher, you. and uh, thank you, Doctor, for taking the call. Sure. Uh, you guys, I'm sure, wouldn't remember. I was one that called. I was a big proponent of the Trump tonic back last May. Um, I, I unfortunately, I think, I predicted some of the sea changes politically, and I thought if we could get master distribution of a five-day cycle of three generic drugs for 20 bucks, we could have, in some respects, saved the republic. And I know it's Monday morning quarterback retrospective stuff, but um, I think that all the energy that we put in debating, and not we, I I was pretty clear in what I had looked at research-wise, but the medical community got so political Um, and and just to to put people's lives in danger. And I think we lost a lot of lives because people wouldn't look at common sense generics that could have saved people in real time.
1: I hear you. Uh, You know, the the issue is, is, uh, you know, is anybody going to be studying this? We have so much data to study over the next few years, not only about what happened in 2020, and uh, what are some of the micro studies that can be done about the populations that got uh, hydroxychloroquine, that got ivermectin, uh, and the use of those traditionally meds that were used for other things uh, in, in future viruses? Uh, but what about the data of the rollout and the shift in our culture that has happened now? I don't know if we are, are we ever going to be able to come out of sort of this malaise that we went into for the last fourteen months. Uh, and it's not over yet. Uh, They're still trying to keep us in it for another six months or or longer. So, you know, you have a cultural shift. You have diseases that weren't treated, cancers, heart disease, and others that if you talk to your doctors, you know, they're going to tell you how backed up they are. Surgeries are backed up. Treatments have been backed up um, to the point that, you know, now our state passed liability protection, which we had to, I mean, they had to do, because We couldn't practice normal medicine, so you can't hold physicians accountable to a standard of care that existed in 2019 when in 2020 patients just were not accessing medical care like they should. So it's a rational thing to do, but you're going to have certain pandemics that come after. We have so much studying to do, and yet disease that's going to be delayed with a population that can pay for it much less because at some point the government's going to be unable to print more money, prices are going to go up, insurance coverage goes down. Uh, You know, there's just a a spiral that we're going into.
2: Some of us have talked about the second pandemic being mental health that comes as a result of this. How serious do you think we should be looking at that or taking that issue?
1: I, you know, I know that all of my colleagues are taking it so seriously that uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of it uh, because um, it's in the whole, you know, you see it not only in one patient, but the entire family, you know, they. Finally, as things open up, people are realizing what the rut was they were stuck in, and they're limited by finances, they're limited by opportunity costs, uh, need for vacations, which they can't afford. And treatments, uh, antidepressants, psychiatric therapy, the psycho, you know, uh, therapeutic sessions, counseling—that's necessary. And we already had a a dearth of availability for those specialties. Yeah, it's not
2: like we were surfeited yeah. with uh, an over- overwhelming supply of services in those areas. To
1: exactly. Yeah. And now th- those were underserved before. And I can't tell you, Seth. I mean, a perfect example. I have. I can think of ten patients that have said. Doctor Jasser, I'm not going to do a televisit with my psych. I, I need I need a therapy session. I, I'm suicidal, and I'm not going to do it on Zoom. And I'm trying to get the psych, psych, you know, the psychiatric community to see the patient. They're like, well, we're just doing Zoom patients right now. It's different, and, and they just don't want that. Like they're, school, like, they're it's tired of looking at right? screens.
2: Yeah, it's different, isn't it? It's a different. Yeah, it's much different. Um, thank you for that. Ed is in Phoenix. Ed, you're on with Zudi Jasser.
0: Hello, Doctor Jasser. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure. Let me explain a, a situation I have in my family. My wife and I and our three adult children and their children are going to share a condominium in San Diego in June. And all will uh, be ten adults and six children. All ten adults will have had the vaccine. None of the children, of course, will have had the vaccine. One of the families is being rather insistent on saying that uh, everybody should... Uh, quarantine for at least five days and be tested before we all meet up together at this condominium. Do you think that's necessary for uh, people who have had the vaccine to uh, still be tested and quarantined prior to getting together, especially they're concerned about their children possibly catching it being transmitted from somebody who has already been vaccinated?
1: Well, let me first say uh, I'd I am loath to interject my opinion into family discussions, uh, my own, let alone uh, uh, yours. But uh, my medical opinion to what you're saying and if patients ask me the same thing, um, you know, I'll tell you, you, if you're vaccinated or if you've had it and you have the antibodies, quarantining doesn't make any. I, I don't understand why you do that. Testing. It may give them more comfort. So the key is not only what may make sense rationally, but you want everybody you're going to spend your vacation with to be comfortable. So I could see testing the week before uh, just to, you know, give them some comfort that you're not actively. Now, your IgG is going to be positive because you had a memory antibody from the vaccine or the infection. uh, But the IgM, the acute infection, should be negative uh, so that's probably helpful. But quarantining, I i don't think that's necessary at all. That doesn't make sense.
2: Aren't you curious to see a condo in San Diego that fits 16 people? Yeah. Uh, that's, where, that's where I am. <laughs> I want, and that's call nice. back, see if there's room for a 17th. This sounds like a good time once we get past the COVID panic. I'm Seth. He's Zutty. We'll be right back. Audience, thank you very much for spending some of your afternoon with us. We take none of you or it for granted. It means a ton to us. And same to you, Dr. Jasser. Thanks for coming in and joining us as you have for the past hour and all your service to our community. As we close uh, the show, close the week, f- some final thoughts. You, uh, you're a political scientist as much as you are a medical scientist, Dr. Jasser. Uh, what is the science we should all be most concerned about right now?
1: we need to get back to being americans being normal you know sort of dispensing with the uh, the pan ocd that we had in 2020 and i haven't seen us uh, dispense with that and uh, i'd like to see our culture get back to normal understand that we buy some risk by being free and uh, just like when you get in your vehicle you have a risk for an accident uh, we might get covid still but yet we return to normal so that we can embrace our friends shake hands hug do the right things uh, that uh, keep us to be normal human beings. Um, You know, I I just actually presented a paper on why in the Muslim tradition, dogs are prohibited, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't trace back to the origins of Islam. It traces back to the way they treated dogs in Asia during pandemics where they thought dogs were transmitting illnesses. So all of a sudden, now, if you ask most Muslims that believe dogs are dirty they think it's related to the religion yeah. but it actually came from pandemics huh. and what is the most therapeutic animal on the planet dog god you know mankind's best friend is dogs yeah. and i've talked to patients that were isolated during the pandemic that got through it by finding a dog getting a pet and yet you look at the what happened to dogs in the muslim culture it was because of pandemics that now hardly any muslim households have a dog inside them and that needs to be reformed which is my other work yeah. but <laughs> this work Don't let us fall into the trap of going down a cultural rabbit hole that changes who we are. Dr. Zudi Jasser,
2: my friend, my hero, my doctor, and really our communities as well. Folks, I wish you a a great weekend. Um, Until Monday, God bless you, and class dismissed.